Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 271 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Ultimate Fighter, an interview with UFC legend Jim Miller. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Folks, this is a really special episode with a very successful professional athlete. Jim Miller has fought the most bouts in UFC history. He has the most wins in UFC history, and he has the most wins in the UFC lightweight division. And what Jim Miller did to be successful as an athlete is he was very careful to plan before he acted, and he took all of these steps that he used to become a successful athlete to become successful on his Lyme disease journey. So many of our listeners believe that celebrities can't help them in their Lyme journey. And although Jim Miller is a celebrity, a genetically gifted professional athlete, and has a lot of resources, it doesn't mean that he can't help you. We need to move away from this false belief because everything Jim did are steps that can be repeated by you and will benefit you in your Lyme disease healing journey. So folks, without further ado, we're really excited to introduce to you the ultimate fighter, an interview with UFC legend Jim Miller. Hey, Jim Miller, UFC legend. Welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you for having me. We are really excited to have you, Jim. And uh, we want to give our folks a context because for folks like me and Matt, who are huge fans of the UFC and quite frankly, huge fans of yours, even though you didn't know who we were before today, um, we want to give all of our folks, especially folks in our international community, a context for who Jim Miller is. So Jim, talk to us about the UFC and, uh, and who you are in the UFC. I am the record holder for the most fights in the UFC, got the most wins at lightweight. I'm tied for the most wins altogether uh, in the UFC. I've got the most time spent in the octagon as a lightweight. I've, I've got quite a few records at this point. Uh, a lot of just from, you know, attrition. I signed with the UFC in 2008 and I've got 39 fights. So, Jim, I mean, that it is just really, uh, really exciting that, you know, somebody who has had the longevity that you have had, despite dealing with some of the health challenges, to get to sort of the rare air that you're in, right? I mean, you, you have more fights than anyone else. You have more victories than anyone else. And it is, and you, you have fought some of the great legends in the UFC. And, and I shared with Matt offline, I'm going to share with you now online. I've been a huge fan and follower of yours for a long time. I, I, Thank you. I, Always like the East Coast guys. I always like the guys who have a strong wrestling background. You've always been one of those guys. And, and you have fought, you know, some of, again, the legends in the UFC. So one of my favorite fights, one of the fights I looked forward to for a long, long time was when you fought Cowboy Cerrone. I mean, that yeah. was just an awesome fight. We were all like waiting for that fight, at least the folks in my community who follow you, because you were just two of our, two of our favorite fighters. And we knew that was going to be an awesome fight. And it really was a great fight. And you and you and Donald, of course, have a lot in common in that you both have had these long careers. You both had mm -hmm. a, a large number of wins. And I guess the place where you distinguish yourself, if you stayed in one weight class, he had to move to another weight class. So you have a greater number of wins than he does in your weight class. So that was an awesome fight. So talk to us first about what it was like to fight Cowboy. Uh, you know, uh, that was uh, that was a good one. I, I had bumped into him uh, a few times leading up to that to that fight we'd known each other and i think that was my 18th fight in the ufc i knew he was going to throw a lot of shots to the body up the center and we had trained for it and prepared for it and of course when the opportunity was there in front of me to try to land a strike i i committed too hard uh, up the center and he uh he made me pay on the very first combination in the fight and from that point it was just kept getting the wind knocked out of me and and uh it was a uh, 
it was a, a painful one. <laughs> you know, some of some of those fights are like it's it, some of them are tough. They 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 push your you know conditioning and stuff like that. That one that one was probably the most painful fight altogether that I've ever been in. Well, I mean, I would think every fight is painful. I mean, you guys feel you <laughs> you know beat the tar out of one another in every single fight. So you uh you fought one of my one of my other really uh, favorite fighters. Clay the Carpenter Guida mm-hmm. was one of my favorite fighters. My dad was a carpenter. He was just he, he was just high energy, never stopped. So when you and he were about to fight, it was another one of those fights we were really looking forward to. We knew this was going to be a war. We knew it was going to be a fight. Talk to us about what it was like to fight that legend and um, and how cool that was. We had the opportunity to fight, you know, could have had the opportunity to fight for years. We were both at the top of the division. And I think it was uh, 2011. They actually, when Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard uh, were going to fight the third time, they ended up having a, each of them had to have surgery. So they were shuffling some fights around and they, uh, they offered clay to me on like a week notice. And I had been out of the gym and, and do, doing a renovation on my kitchen and stuff like that. So I was like, it was the only time that I'd ever turned anything down at that point. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not fighting clay on a week notice, <laughs> So that was, yeah, that was in 2011 and things kind of just kept rolling for a few years there. And, and, you know, uh, his name never just came up and then it finally did. And we met in New Jersey and it was, uh, it was awesome to like, to really be a fan of somebody and, and get to fight them. You know, Clay is another guy that I've, I've, I've hung out with at events and stuff like that. Um, really great guy. And I mean, that was one of those fights where I was just so like excited to go out and fight them. And, you know, unfortunately things, things went my way pretty quickly in that fight. Yeah, that was, that was a great fight. It really was a great fight. So I'm going to give you my third favorite fight. Another one that we, we, there was just great anticipation for because it's another legend in the UFC. You fought Nate Diaz, right? And I mean, Nate, of course, is just this really tough guy, you know, a winner of the ultimate fighter. I mean, in most cases, when you fight one of the winners of ultimate fighter, you whoop their butts. You and Nate had a great fight, right? And Nate, uh, Nate, of course, is a legend. Um, uh, I guess he became most well known in his battles with with the good Irishman who yeah. uh, you know who came over and and Conor McGregor really changed the face of the UFC. So talk to us about how cool it was to fight against uh, you know that West Coast guy uh, uh, Nate Diaz. Uh, you know Nate Nate's another one of these guys that's been around for a, a long time, and we had, we had met we had actually trained together a little bit out in California. I'd, I'd gone out there for one of my training partners' fights, and and we had the opportunity to to get on the mats together and spar a little bit that was a pretty cool card. Cause it was a, we, we main evented a Fox card, you know? So to, to, to get that opportunity was great. You know, he's one of those guys. that's just, he's super tricky. He's, he's very planted when he throws the strikes. Uh, I ended up running into one of those and, and uh, you know, <laughs> it, it is what it is, you know, but uh, yeah, tons of respect for that guy. It's, it's been, it's cool to share the octagon with, you know, so many great fighters and great dudes. Yeah, no, it's it, it really it really has been cool to you know be really excited about watching you and have great anticipation for you fighting against some of the again the legends uh, you know watching two legends like you and Nate fight or watching legends like you and some of the other great folks like Cowboy have fought it has just been really great for us as fans. So let's walk it back a little bit. Let's talk about your 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 background. You're a Jersey boy, and actually another one. 
one of my favorite fighters. I don't think you fought him in the UFC, but I think I think you and Frankie Edgar had fought before you were yep. in the UFC. Another one of my favorite fighters is a Jersey boy. I mean, we have a lot of really good Long Island guys. We'll talk about that later. But uh, talk to us about what it's like to grow up in New Jersey um, and, um, and 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 how your wrestling career began uh, as a young guy in New Jersey. Uh, you know, so I, I grew up in a, in a big family. Uh, you know, I've got uh, three siblings, two older brothers and a younger sister. And my my mother's side of the family has a pretty good wrestling pedigree. You know, her uh, one of her older brothers uh, was a three time state champ uh, here in New Jersey. He went ninety eight and one in his wow. high school career. Then he went on to wrestle at Lehigh and was a two time fourth and two time national champion for Lehigh. Uh, Mike Frick. He was um, ranked number one in the world at one at one point, uh, leading up to the the nineteen eighty Olympics that he had qualified for, and then we, you know, boycotted those those Olympics. We didn't get his opportunity uh, to wrestle. But yeah, you know, so so Mike was a phenomenal wrestler, and then his uh, his his brothers wrestled as well. And one of his younger brothers, Jim, also wrestled for Lehigh. Ended up uh, missing out on on all American status uh, once or twice. But one of my earliest memories is watching my uncle Jim wrestle at Lehigh. I think I was probably only three. The only reason I really remember it is that he, he broke his ankle <laughs> in the wrestling match. So, uh, you know, it was kind of one of those things that it's, it, uh, you know, something happened. So you, so you kind of, you know, you remember that type of stuff, but yeah, so I, I grew up with wrestling. I, I, my, my older brothers, they were wrestling when they were young. And of course I was on the mats with them. And, and I think I was like officially on the novice team when I was like four wrestling at about like 40, 43 pounds, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, the, sports and and you know between wrestling and we, we played football and baseball uh, as kids and we were we were constantly outside it didn't really matter what we were you know what what the weather was like uh what time of year it was it we were we were always doing stuff outside and you know from from playing sports and making up games and stuff like that to just roaming around in the woods and and um a lot of people don't necessarily know what northwestern new jersey is like <laughs> because you know a lot of people they fly into like newark airport and that's about it right and and then maybe they go to new york city but you know I, i'm from the hills like <laughs> yeah. it's it's kind of a little bit backwards out here so we grew up yeah like i said just getting getting dirty head to toe and and um so so jim let's talk about that right so you're uh you know the miller boys and girls were outside all the time uh you were born to be an athlete you had a strong genetic code from your mother's family that sort of sent you in a in a in a direction which actually you turned into your career uh but you spent a lot of time in the line belt right new jersey mm-hmm. um you know pennsylvania new york had you know a, a large number of ticks we have uh, a large number of uh, Lyme disease cases, mm-hmm. and we're always, always sort of bouncing back and forth between New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania um, to determine who has the greatest number of Lyme disease cases. Uh, Pennsylvania has beaten both of our states out, Jim, the last mm-hmm. two years. Congratulations, Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so you're an outdoorsy guy from an outdoorsy family. So uh, mm-hmm. what do you know about ticks and Lyme disease when you were uh, scrapping out in uh, the woods in Pennsylvania? I'm sorry, in New Jersey. Uh, you know, as a kid, it, it really, uh, there, there wasn't much, right? Like I remember, I mean, I can count on one hand how many ticks I found on me as, you know, as a kid, as I was going through high school, it really was only a handful. There was, there was one that it, uh, <laughs> we were out playing and, and I was like rolling around a leaf pile and I uh, came inside and there was one inside my belly button. 
<laughs> so that was a pain in the butt to get out. But uh, yeah, there, there weren't a lot of, of ticks on me. And I, of course, I heard about it as a kid, but it wasn't that big of a thing, you know, and like it's uh, it's crazy. Some of the misconceptions that were going around at that point as well, that unfortunately, some still survive to this day. But we didn't really worry about it all that much. Yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for context because, again, I'm, I'm old enough to be your dad, Jim. So, you know, we we uh, we were concerned about ticks during my childhood. Uh, tick checks were a regular part of our experience. Uh, we actually had a tick kit. It was a janky tick kit that had you know, Vaseline <laughs> and these dirty tweezers and these uh -huh. matches that we that we would have in our mudroom as we were walking in. So but so we were very tick aware. Yeah, uh, not only not only on us, but also on our animals. So I'm just wondering, as you know, somebody who's, you know, you're more than 20 years younger than me, how your family dealt with ticks. I mean, were, were you know, were your parents telling you that you should be wearing, you know, tick spray? Were they telling you to do tick checks all the time? Were they, you know, what were they doing to keep you safe? Because I'm sure in the athletic Miller family, they were keeping an eye on whether or not you were, you know, going to break an ankle the way Uncle Jim did you know, on the wrestling <laughs> match, right? So they were trying to keep you safe and healthy, um, during your athletic career, were they doing the same things with you when you were having either social time or practice time out, um, you know, outside? Um, I mean, we would tick check here and there. And, you know, it, it really came down to like taking a good shower, scrubbing, scrubbing good in the shower and, and trying to, you know, make sure that that everything was everything was clean and anything that needed to be washed off got washed off. And that's that's really what it like came down to. It wasn't super crazy. We didn't wear like bug spray tick spray all that much and yeah like i said it, it wasn't there weren't that many instances where like we found one on us to be perfectly honest L later on when i was in my in my teens when we would be uh like pheasant hunting with the dogs and stuff like that i mean there were times where you're driving home and you're picking 20 30 ticks off the dog you know that are just crawling around and throwing them out the window but yeah it didn't happen all that often where we found one on on us Talk about the value you placed on fitness, on nutrition, on, you know, the different, uh, different tools you needed to keep your body healthy. In this day and age, if I was a, if I was, you know, a kid now at, in 2020, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I'd be diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, <laughs> and I think there are a lot of us out there that the same thing would happen. And for me personally, I just always felt better after I pushed myself after I like blew my lungs out a little bit after I went hard, I was the kid in, in gym class that was, you know, running the, running the mile as hard as they could while everyone else walked. I was the kid, you know, just going full, full bore. So it really wasn't even like a necessarily a, a mindset for me. It was almost like a, a, a need to, to do things that challenged me and to, and to push my body. I started running to get in a better shape and to, and to manipulate my weight when I was probably in about, third grade for, for wrestling, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go for a run, you know, the, the nights before matches to lose that last little quarter pound, half pound that I needed to lose. But it was always something that like, Hey, I'm, if I want to wrestle at my best, I'm going to put in the extra work, but it was like a little bit of it was mindset. A lot of it was just, I needed to, I needed to do it. I needed to go. I needed to, to move really is what it was. I mean, diet wise as a kid, it was, I, I had a horrible, horrible diet. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm only five foot, five foot eight. My brothers are way taller than me. Um, <laughs> Maybe it stunted my growth, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't mature in my, in my diet until I was into my like early twenties. 
did you always envision yourself as a professional athlete? And if you didn't, what was your sort of dream for your future when you were the active ADD kid, uh, you know, in New Jersey? You know, there was part of me that always kind of wanted to fight. You know, I, I grew up watching all the cheesy 80 movies that Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, Bloodsport and this and that and Kickboxer. And uh, so so the, it definitely it definitely like etched into my mind a little bit like hmm, like I kind of want to kind of want to do something like that. But, yeah, I, I I didn't know. I didn't I didn't I didn't know that I that the sport was going to get to that point where I could make a career out of it. I didn't I didn't know any of that. I, I didn't I didn't really like I didn't have that idea that I could be a professional athlete because it's like, you know, as a wrestler, you're not going to, you know, uh, make it that far. <laughs> right. You can wrestle through college and that's it. Like it shuts off unless you unless you are the super exceptional, you know, Olympic wrestler, Jordan Burroughs kind of guy where like you can you can make this work so yeah I, di- I didn't i didn't have the idea that i was going to be a f- professional athlete and i didn't really know what i wanted to do that was kind of one of the issues i i knew that i enjoyed the outdoors and there was a there was a part of me and there still is that part of me that's like man i just want to go to alaska and 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 live in a cabin and <laughs> and be that guy like i i i feel like i could do it so yeah everything kind of just fell into place being a ufc athlete so talk about that. Talk about how you pivoted over from high school and college athletics to the UFC, because it was a path before you got to the UFC and before you got signed by the UFC that you had to ultimately tread before you could get to, you know, the premier mixed martial arts um, organization. I wrestled through high school. Once I got into high school, I, I, I stopped playing football and baseball because I was, I was too small. Just focused on wrestling. And I wrestled, uh, I went to Virginia Tech. And I, I got in for engineering. I didn't have plans to wrestle. And then that fidgety ADD kid was like, I just can't stay away, you know? So uh, I ended up emailing the coach and, and I walked on pretty late and things kind of just happened. And, and a few weeks later, I was starting for uh, a division one wrestling program. Um, so that was a huge learning experience for me. Um, being surrounded by uh, a group of, of, very good wrestlers every day. Um, it was also a learning experience in, in not having uh, uh, a, a group of coaches that were like there for my success. Uh, I definitely learned from, you know, the positive side of having good training partners and the negative side of having crummy coaches. Um, but uh, I only wrestled the year uh, at Virginia Tech and because I, I did not enjoy the coaching staff. <laughs> uh and, uh, you know, I, I was, I was taking some time off from school. Cause I, like I said, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I went there for engineering and, and, um, I was a few months into it and I was like, man, like this one, I was wrestling and cutting weight to one forty ones, And, and that made things extremely difficult to, uh, to, to be a student, uh, at that point, because I was focusing so much on, um, like making weight, uh, because I was wrestling at a, at a weight class that I shouldn't have been wrestling at. Um, but uh, yeah, I took some time off. And, and at that point I'd been a fan of, of the UFC and mixed martial arts and, and, and pride fighting champions, the one in, in, in Japan. Um, and my brother and I were working for our father framing houses. And anytime that one of those pay-per-view cards would come on, we would get the, get the card and watch. And um 
it took a few months and and finally it was like all right we just need to do it we need to we need to find a place and go train and um you know looked it up on the on the on the internet and found the closest school that had a fight team and at that point it was like a 40 minute drive from uh where we where we living with uh you know in, in sparta and uh, uh jim this is your brother dan who's also yep. a ufc uh fighter as well right was yes. a UFC fighter. yeah yeah my brother dan uh so yeah we he was made- also he was an awesome fighter too i big fan of dan's as well thank you thank you yeah he uh he fought a he fought a who's who uh at 185 really did um yeah so in 2005 uh we started training and uh you know the first day we walked into the gym uh we're we're talking to you know our first coach and we're like hey uh you know we want to fight and he saw these two you know young wrestler kids come in uh and he's like oh well give me like two or three years you know and he already had a, a few guys that were fighting and some were doing pretty well um on the local scene and um we ended up doing a grappling tournament a few months later. And, uh, I mean, lo and behold, it was, it was six months basically to the day that we walked in to start training, that we were walking into a ring for our first, uh, professional fights, because at that point in New Jersey, there was no amateur. It was either fight like in on the underground, uh, or, or go pro. And, uh, so we decided to go pro and, and things just snowballed from there. And, um, I think I had, oh, I, I had, six fights in uh 366 days you know from the time that we started fighting wow so you were like a mike tyson of uh, mixed <laughs> martial arts right so i want to walk back to one piece of your story that um that you raised with us which is uh the coaching issue right mm-hmm. uh coaching is a really important part of a lyme disease journey um and um, I think there's two different elements of that that I'd like to explore with you, right? So you 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 said that at that stage in your in your um, in your life as an athlete, you had seen some good coaches and some bad coaches, right? So talk to us about what were the factors that led you to believe someone was a good coach, and what were the factors that came, allowed you to come to the conclusion that you were working with a bad coach. So that folks who are working with coaches, and we'll talk about doctors in a minute, can have some some parameters for what tools you use to define whether somebody's a good coach or a bad coach. Um, you know, I, I think uh, th- there's a lot that goes into that, right? So there's there's different styles of coaching. Um, the the biggest thing that uh, led me to believe that the that the coaches that I was dealing with at that point were, were bad was uh, there there was no support. Right. I, I was, I was just a a body to throw on the mat at that point. Um, They, they really didn't were they weren't worried about my success and my failure uh, only to the point where it it reflected on them. That's all, that's it. That's all they cared about is how my performance reflected on them. And, and even to that point, being the walk on and being, being the guy that just showed up, and started wrestling that was handed to them the better that I did. It made it look even worse for them because they had spent scholarship money on these other guys who weren't producing. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the biggest things, and this is something that I've, I've learned, you know, through the years with, with coaching is the ability to read, right? Like you, you have to be able to read the person that you're coaching and, 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 you know, the athlete or, or, uh, or even the patient. Right. So like you have to know 
when that when that good day is, when that bad day is like and and I mean, that's one of the biggest issues in the sport of mixed martial arts is that we'll have, you know, our hard sparring day. Well, not everybody's at 100 <laughs> percent, you know, so if if the guy that's, you know, uh, a little bit later into his career isn't isn't having a good day that day and you're throwing him in there with these, you know, young, crazy lions. Uh, that's how injuries happen. And that's how, that's how, you know, problems arise. Um, so a coach has to be able to read their athlete and be like, okay, is, is today the day that we go hard or is, you know, is today the day that we kind of pull things back And there? There has to be that, that open communication. Um, because without the communication, no, nobody's ever going to know, uh, you know, and, and as the athlete, you have to be able to voice that as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, a it's a, it's a delicate line because it's, certain coaching styles are different. And some, some coaches and some athletes thrive with that little bit harder, uh, coaching style, you know, uh, uh, no fluff, you know, um, I honestly, I feel I do pretty well with that, but I also need, uh, coaches that, you know, have my back. So Jim, let's talk about another piece of that, right? Um, one of the biggest challenges that people have in the Lyme community is, a, knowing when to pivot from a doctor to another doctor mm -hmm. and B, really having sort of the fortitude to make the decision to leave someone. Now, you're a, an 18 year old kid. Mm -hmm. You're at a division one school. You walk on. You are, you know, you're having success at um, at a sport that you were essentially groomed to be a part of from birth. Right. Mm -hmm. Yet you have the you have the fortitude to leave that program. So talk about you and what your mindset had to be and what you had to go through to have the strength to leave an unhealthy coach and what kind of a model can that serve for folks who have to leave doctors especially these uh these celebrity doctors that people sometimes work with um you know it, you kind of you have to trust your gut um you do it, it when you feel that that the relationship isn't there when you feel that the the support might not be there or that uh you're just a you're just a number um, it's, it's okay. It's okay to, to move on. Um, you know, uh, I've always had, I've always had an easy time of just like, okay, we're, we're good. <laughs> like when it's time for me, it's time for me. And I'm, I'm, and I'm done. Uh, you know, I, I don't like to, I don't like to hang on too long to, to, to those types of relationships. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it can be really difficult. It could be really difficult going from uh, a little bit of something to, you know, just like jumping out into the abyss and, and not having anything, uh, you know, any support, any, any, any guidance. Um, but if you feel that that relationship is, you know, is, is tainted and soured and, 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 you know, not healthy anymore, then it's, it's time to go. So Jim, you're a guy who follows his gut. You followed your gut from place to place to place, which ultimately brought you to a place where you are uh, a legend in, um, in one of the top um, uh, professional organizations in the world. Uh, and it was always that gut that led you. So talk to us about um, while you're going through this uh, legendary career and you're fighting sort of like the Mike Tyson of UFC, where you're sort of fighting every other day, it seemed at some point, right, Jim? You, I mean, you just fought and fought and fought and fought in, 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 a, in a sport that wears you down, right? I mean, this is a tough sport, right? 
Um, talk to us about when you first started to notice you had some health issues, which you now know to be related to Lyme disease. Um, I, I think the, the, the first, uh, the first really noticeable symptoms, um, hit me probably in early 2015. Um, I began experiencing, uh, pretty significant joint pain, um, particularly in my knees. And, uh, you know, it was to the point where I would be warmed up in the middle of, you know, middle of a training session, you know, 45 minutes in, and I would go to stand up and I'd have to post on my knees and stand up like an old man grunting and groaning. Um, and, uh, you know, like, yeah, that the, the, the joint pain was probably the first thing. Um, I mean, there might've been a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe some of the neurological stuff that I, I ended up dealing with might've started hitting me a little bit earlier. Um, but I feel like I can hundred percent say that, uh, the, the joint pain, um, was, uh, was the first thing that I really noticed. And, you know, it, it through 2015, it started to get to the point where I was <laughs> struggling going up and down stairs, um, uh, going upstairs, I'd be grabbing onto the handrail and pulling myself up and going downstairs for whatever reason. One day I just decided to turn sideways because it felt better on my knees going down that way where I wasn't like fully jarring, you know, the front of my knees, uh, as I, as I walked down the stairs. Um, yeah, it, uh, it, then, you know, it, it progressed, progressed pretty good. You know, and we got to like, I was getting neuropathy and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it just, those types of things got worse and worse through 2015. So, so Jim, let's, let's explore that in, in a little more detail, right? Um, you're a genetically gifted professional athlete, but you're in, you're, you're participating in a combat sport, right? Mm -hmm. So when do you first start seeing doctors or are you just sort of describing your symptoms or rationalize your symptoms as part of just being a UFC athlete? I, I assumed that the symptoms that I was dealing with were associated with being a professional fighter for a decade. It's like, huh, knee pain, <laughs> check that off the list. You know, uh, of course your knees hurt, you know, like, uh, I've, I've got neck injuries. It's like, Oh, your, your arms are going numb. Uh, well, that's obvious. Uh, I, I, uh, I started developing some speech issues, uh, towards late 2015 where it's like, I, I do get hit in the head. So I, I assumed that everything that I was dealing with was associated with, uh, just being a fighter. Um, so were you, were you seeking advice from trainers, from doctors? I mean, when are you, when are you starting to seek help? Because even if you didn't think it was, um, you know, part of a Lyme disease journey, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you certainly, you certainly are a dad and you're certainly, uh, you know, a husband and you don't want, you don't want to be punch drunk. So when are you starting mm -hmm. to get help for, you know, for these symptoms? Uh, well, you know what, honestly, I, I never really like, uh, approached anybody about it. Um, I, uh, I was kind of just riding it out and I was like, I was coming into a fight in early 2016 at UFC 296 and, uh, my training camp was horrible. Absolutely horrible. Uh, I was barely able to train. Um, and 
I was like, okay, I just need to get through this one. Uh, UFC uh, 196, rather. Uh, I just need to get through uh, this fight, and I'm going to ask to fight on UFC 200, and I'm going to retire at UFC 200. Um, and that was my plan. So who and, did you fight at? Who did you fight at uh, at, at one ninety six? Is that Diego uh, Sanchez? Yes, Diego Sanchez. Yep. Um, okay. So how did? Uh, so you had this. You had this terrible camp. Um, you have all of these symptoms, which you now know to be clearly Lanzi symptoms. Yep. You're fighting against again another UFC legend, another another uh, you know winner of the Ultimate Fighter. The, he did win the, the Ultimate Fighter, right, Sanchez? Yes. Yeah. I think he did. So I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're fighting against a legend, right? I mean, one of the most you know fit aggressive athletes in the world and you're so sick that you can't train. I mean, how did that go for you in that fight? Uh, it, it did not go my way. Uh, you know, he ended up, uh, outpointing me and, and taking a decision and, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a tough fight, but it's, he's a, he's a tough dude. And, and that's, that's the way that it goes. Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, like I said, it was a, it was a horrible, horrible training camp and i had assumed that everything that i was dealing with was just because of my lifestyle um or your profession or my profession right yeah just just because of uh of being a fighter um so i was a hundred percent fixed on on you know calling it quits at ufc 200 um and it was i was getting my pre-fight physical for ufc 196 and i was talking to my doctor about some of the things that I was going through. Um, I mentioned all, you know, the joint pain and the neuropathy and, and, the, and the, the twitching and the, uh, the, the speech issues. And, and I was like, I was like, and I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm getting lost sometimes because I was experiencing some brain fog to where I would walk into a room and I would just, just stand there. I would just, I would just find myself standing there for, for 15, 20 minutes. Uh, like I, I would go to uh, go to clean up the basement or something like that, or, or my workshop and, and just kind of get lost in like the task and, and be overwhelmed by it and not even get to start. And just not, you know, I knew what I was there to do. It wasn't that I was forgetting what I was going into the room for. It was just that I didn't know how to start. Um, so talking to my doctor about all those things um, he's just, He's like, ah, I think you have Lyme disease. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was as, it was as easy as that. Uh, he had dealt with a few patients in the past that, that had, had it. Um, and we, we ran some blood tests and he, uh, I was actually out in Las Vegas for the fight and he calls me up and he's like, according to the blood test, he's like, you didn't test positive for Lyme. I, I still to this day never have. Um, and but he's like, you know, the, your body is fighting an active infection right now. And he's like, so we're going to try some doxycycline when you come home. And he's like, when he's like, if, if it's Lyme disease, you're going to, you're going to notice a difference pretty quickly. Um, so I got through that fight, uh, and got home, went on the doxycycline. It was, it was pretty quick. The, uh, how, you know, how quickly I noticed the, uh, the change in the way that I felt uh, was, was pretty incredible. Now, did you go on oral doxycycline or did you go on, uh, IV antivirus? Uh, oral, oral. Yep. So now this, so you got the news you had Lyme disease before the, uh, before the fight with Diego yep. Sanchez. Yes. 
So now what was your reaction when the doctor said to you, hey, Jim, I think you have Lyme disease. Was that a disease you were familiar with? Was it something that, you know, that surprised you or was, you know, the Lyme disease um, possibility on your radar even before the doctor told you you had Lyme? Um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't really in my mind that I had Lyme disease. Um, you know, I had been tested, uh, in the past. Um, and that's actually when I think I was bit, um, back in 2013, I had, uh, a, f- a few, like a few weeks of that. I felt like crap, uh, to be perfectly honest. I, I had, uh, I had like flu like symptoms, a severe nausea. Um, to the point where taking a sip of coffee in the morning, if I got a good whiff of my coffee as I as I took a sip, I'd start to gag a little bit or um, taking the garbage out. I had I had two kids in diapers at the time. So <laughs> taking the garbage out, uh, I would be like dry heaving all the way down the, the down the driveway. Um, and that, that lasted for like a week. Right. And uh, and then I got a I got a series of migraines and, and over I think it was 10 days. I got seven migraines, um, light sensitivity and uh, a little bit of vertigo. Um, and I went to a neurologist and I went to an, an ENT at that time. Um, they tested me for Lyme disease and they ran a whole bunch of other tests and nothing came back positive. Um, so they're like, okay, we're just gonna wait until something comes back. Cause you know, the, the, the symptoms had kind of gone away. Um, yeah. And that was in 2013 and, and the symptoms came back in 2015 and it took me a long time to, uh, even after I knew that I had Lyme disease to, to figure out when I was bit, uh, because I never found a tick, uh, I never got a rash. Um, but, uh, now knowing what I know about, uh, the early symptoms, I'm, I'm extremely confident that it was, uh, like late May, uh, early June in, uh, 2013. So let's explore that Jim, because, you know, perhaps you were bitten by a tick at that time, Mm -hmm. or perhaps, um, you engaged in some behavior that was, uh, immune disrupting and this, this bacteria that you were harboring in your body for perhaps decades as a kid who grew up in New Jersey, as a kid who was in the line belt, who was a kid who was bitten by ticks many times, whether you knew it or not, yeah. perhaps there was some immune disruptive behavior that you would engage in and it just allowed the, uh, the, um, the bacteria to take off. So what were you doing around that time in 2013 from a training standpoint, meaning what were you getting ready for and what kind of training were you doing? And do you think it's possible that your training regimen was uh, caused immune disruption. And that's why you got sick. Um, at that point, uh, I, I can't think of anything different at that point. Um, you know, there was really, there was really nothing, uh, nothing that I can think of that, that stands out that, that would cause it. Uh, to be perfectly what, what about when you were when you were sparring and training? Do you recall having any any uh, you know sparring sessions where, which were, may have been physically traumatic? Did uh, anybody did, did take a shot on the button one day and just find yourself in you know in a bad place? I mean you know the, I mean there are just so many different possibilities with somebody who does what you do professionally that could have been traumatic and could have been uh, immune disrupting. Um. Honestly, I think it, at the time I was, I was actually out of the gym for a bit. I was, I was doing, uh, I was rehabbing my shoulder, um, and, and doing some physical therapy, uh, on my shoulder, uh, for an injury that I, I'd sustained, uh, late in, uh, 2012. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't even, I wasn't even like training in any crazy way. Uh, I was probably training a lot less than I, <laughs> you know, than I had been. But Jim, you, you, you did have an injury, right? And, and one of the things that we see, one of the things that we see on this podcast is that there are many people who suffer an injury, their immune system is focusing on that injury. And as a result, the bacteria can take off. So the injury may have been the, the immune disrupting event. And again, I, I don't know, I'm just exploring this with you, but you know, one of the things that I did want to explore with you before, before um, Matt starts to talk to you about your, your healing journey is, I remember when, when uh, Conor McGregor was the coach of, uh, of the Ultimate Fighter. Mm-hmm. And he talked about his training philosophy, which seemed to be very different than the philosophy of a lot of the people who were coaching and training in the UFC. And, and he had a more gentle approach to, you know, to training. And, and, and I'm just wondering, you know, whether or not sort of your personality and your training style, which clearly was rigorous, you're always pushing yourself, which is very different than Connor's style, may have had an impact on, you know, your immune system and its ability to fight off, I'm sure, these, these, these various microbes that your body had been managing for probably the entirety of your life. Yeah. I mean, maybe I've always been good at like pushing myself. Right. And that's what, that's why I've been able to be successful taking a lot of short notice fights is because I can get into shape pretty quickly (laughs) (laughs) because, uh, because I'm capable of, of, of pushing myself day to day. Uh, But yeah, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe it had some effect on it. Yeah. So Jim, let's now talk about um, how things change for you personally and professionally after you get your diagnosis, right? You're getting ready to retire. You want UFC 200 to be, uh, you know, a, a, a time in your life where, you know, it, it's a landmark um, UFC event. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to go out um, at a time when it's a, a landmark event. Uh, but the good news for you is it's really not um, that you're punch drunk. It's not that you are, you know, suffering from arthritis from too many different injuries. You have um, you have a disease that hopefully you believe can be treated, and perhaps your career is not going to end. So, was this exciting to have a diagnosis? Were you really hopeful that this might um, this might extend your career? And also, talk to us about socially. Were you now able to explain to your wife and other people in your life that you know? that you had something going on that was not going to be career ending. Um, yeah, I, it was, uh, it, it, it was a huge burden, uh, you know, lifted off my shoulders, knowing that, uh, that I could fix what was going on, that, it, that, it, that I, that I had a new opponent, right. That, and now that I knew the opponent, um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I feel that since that point, like every fight that I've had the opportunity to be a part of since then has been a gift um, because I already, I already made that decision. I already made the decision to walk away from the sport that I love, um, you know, and, and fortunately it was uh, something that, you know, I, I was able to control it. I was able to, I was able to take it back, you know, and, 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 and refocus myself and, and, and get my body back. Uh, you know, it took a while, but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, the, the burden that was lifted knowing that I'm fighting Lyme disease and not just a deteriorated, you know, joints and, and, and this, and that, um, uh, you know, has really changed my outlook on, on a lot of it, you know, my, on my career and, and, and 
life in general at this point. Um, and yeah, it, it's, uh, it's been easier to kind of open up about it and, and tell people because it, while I was struggling with some of those things, I, I wasn't really telling, I wasn't telling anybody about them. You know, I wasn't talking about it because it's like, hey, you know, this is this is what you get. It's what I thought it was. Right. I, I thought it was like, hey, you want to be a professional fighter for 10 years. It's going to hurt to walk. Uh, but uh, yeah, now it's now it's a, a lot easier to, to talk about the things that I was going through at that point. So Jim, let's talk about that a little bit more because you recorded with MMA Junkie saying that you didn't want people to know what was going on with you, right? So was that pre-diagnosis or did some of that carry forward into post-diagnosis with Lyme disease as well, where you didn't really want to share your diagnosis and what was going on with your health? Um, it was pre-diagnosis, you know. Um, I, I I thought that it was like, okay, well, you know, you're you're beat up, right? You're beat up from being a fighter and... and um, He's, he, you gotta, you gotta sleep in the bed you made. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I got through that fight at UFC 200. Uh, I felt way better than I did, uh, at the fight at, uh, 196. And, um, you know, I, I told, uh, told the media that night that I was dealing with it. And, you know, I, I, I try to use my platform to, to speak about it, but I also don't want to make it like the only thing that I talk about. So um, it's, it's not, uh, it's not something that I try to bring up in, in, in every, every interview and stuff like that as well. So, um, you know, cause it's, it's still a fight. And I feel like at this point, like I I've, I've got a handle on things. So, um, you know, a, a, a fight to fight and I can, I can win them or I can lose them. And, you know, it's, I don't have to, uh, I don't have to always, you know, hang this, hang this thing over and, and, and push it out there, you know, every, every time that there's a, a bump in the road. Jim, that's the best approach we feel to this illness because it can become your identity. And when that happens, sometimes you're going to get sick, right? So you need to have that balance of awareness and education and advocating using your platform, which you certainly do. And we're so thankful for you for doing Jim, but also for your own health to not make it become your life and your identity, because that's not good for you as somebody who is, you know, currently dealing with Lyme disease and you've obviously overcome it and you're doing well, but we know we're going to get to shortly. You had a relapse and relapses can occur with Lyme mm -hmm. disease. So that's really, a, I think a good approach to this. So you also, once you got diagnosed, you kind of did pivot and you, you know, we have some quotes here from you saying that you didn't want people to go through what you're going through. You didn't want them to experience it themselves and you didn't want them to have loved ones experience it. And that's really when I think you started to open up and advocate about Lyme disease, right? So what I want to explore with you more about this though is Rich asked you, did you know about how bad ticks can be? What were you doing to protect yourself from ticks? Did you know about Lyme disease? But the question I have for you, Jim, is did you realize how bad Lyme disease can be? Because you know, almost over 500,000 people in the United States alone every year get Lyme disease. And now we're suggesting that these numbers could be even higher, right? These are reported mm. cases in the U.S. alone. And we had Dr. Tim Haystead from Duke University on this podcast who told us 36% of those people every year are developing late stage persistent chronic Lyme that they have to battle with. And that's a really, really large number of people battling this disease. And frankly, when I got diagnosed, I had no idea how bad it could be. So did you realize when you got diagnosed that this could be a serious illness. That's not just something that, Oh, I get the flu and I get a little bit better. Um, or, or was it something that you realized, Hey, I know people and I know this can be debilitating. Uh, you know, it, uh, I didn't, I didn't know at that point, like, you know, when I got diagnosed, it was like, okay, 
uh, you know, I've I've known some people that have that have dealt with it, and you know, some had a a, a tougher road than others. And um, as I got into the community a little bit more, then I got to see uh, just how bad things can get. Um, you know, and it's a uh, it is it's a it's it's a hell of, hell of a little fucking bugger you know like uh and the the worst part is that it's completely individual uh so yeah it's a it's a it's a really uh it's a really tough thing that we're we're dealing with and and and, and in this fight against it you know trying to try to figure out uh what exactly we're dealing with and um you know uh yeah, but I, I I didn't I didn't know just how deep it you know this rabbit hole goes uh, when I got diagnosed. I uh, I knew how I felt at the time, and I and I felt considerably better uh, in a few weeks. So it was like, oh, okay, well you know we're good to go. <laughs> like we got this one. And Jim, you were you were quoted again as saying that you're one of the lucky ones, right? And you realize that some people get it worse, but let's put this in perspective. I mean, you could, you were a professional athlete, you were fighting, you were a star mm-hmm. in, you know, you, you were this, this athlete that was destroying other, you know, really, really good athletes. And then you couldn't walk them down the stairs. Right. I and mean, then you had neuropathy, you couldn't move your arms. Right. So mm-hmm. as much as you say other people have it worse, I mean, you were pretty freaking sick from Lyme disease, right? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was pretty sick, but uh, I'm, I'm a, hard-headed sob uh <laughs> so you know and i was also at the point too where uh uh i was i was providing for my family and and supporting a a a, a business with my fighting career so um like i was between a rock and a hard place i didn't really have uh much that i could do about it i was trying to trying to fight and win and 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 uh and keep you know everything kind of moving and going and um but i i still feel like uh i still feel like uh it there there are a lot of folks that that have dealt with way worse than i dealt with you know i think that uh i think the fact that i was forced by my profession to keep fighting or to keep training and to keep working out through this and like even though there were days where it was next to impossible to get out of bed. And I missed a lot of training sessions in the, in the, the last two fights, like leading up to my, my diagnosis, um, because I, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Um, but like, it's still, it, I, I still think the fact that like the, the only thing that I was doing was working out and, and, and doing things that lead to better health. Um, is one of the things that kind of helped me, uh, you know, either stave it off or get over it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you see just how bad it can get. Let's go a little bit deeper on that one. Right. Because you, you, I think your mindset, I want to carry this theme forward because you talked to Richard about, what it was like when you were young and you had coaches that you didn't see eye to eye with, and you had to make decisions that weren't easy to say, I know this isn't best for me. I'm going to move on. And ultimately landed you where you are today being a star, you know, in, in, in this, this leading star in the UFC. So I think those attributes and those traits carried forward into your Lyme journey where you refused to give up. 
you were listening to your body, you were listening to your body signals and saying, I'm going to do what I need to do based on what my body's telling me, and I'm going to get better, right? And so we interviewed Dr. Biroscano, who is one of the leading Lyme litter doctors in the world, and he talked to us about no matter how sick you are, you have to move, otherwise you won't get better from Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. And you, you just talked to us about, hey, I was so sick, I could barely get out of bed in the morning, I could barely walk down the stairs, but I kept training and moving no matter what happened. And I believe, Jim, that that's one of the main reasons you were able to overcome this the way you did, because mm -hmm. movement is so important. And these studies, these scientific studies that are done by leading specialists in the tick-borne illness community prove that time and time again. And in fact, this podcast has proved that. So do you think that your mindset, your attitude towards life and just your, your motivation to keep moving helped you overcome this in a way that you maybe wouldn't have been able to if you just said, I'm going to lay in bed because I'm so sick and, and just, just, just not move today? Uh, you know, I, I, I do. I do think it 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 had a uh, a positive effect on on my my experience. Um, and it's it's hard because it's like, well, you know, uh, it's, it's it's hard for me to say it right to 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 other people. Like, like I, I want to suggest it like, hey, like you need to you need to do things that are going to help build your health. Good diet exercise, sleep, <laughs> like, like the, 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 the basic things that we all know. Um, and for me, it's like, well, if I get, you know, for me to, to get out of bed and do one thing, like one thing that day, well, it's okay. I, I can, I can go ahead and get on the treadmill. Cause then it's, it's part of my job, right? <laughs> like, like it's, it's easier for me. Like, well, if your job is something else or, you know, you provide for your family a, in a different way and it's then that that workout is something extra. And I don't know if I had anything extra in me at that point. I really don't because uh, I could barely, barely train enough. Uh, I mean, I wasn't training enough to be fighting, but um, but. That was still like that's the only thing I had to do was get up and get out of bed and go do something, go do, go do a little, like, like I said, a little bit, of, a little, a little on the treadmill or hit some pads or something like that. Um, it, uh, so it's, I, I feel like it's a, uh, my given profession was like, it's like a, priv a privilege <laughs> in my fight against Lyme, you know, like, like, cause, cause not everybody makes their living working out. So, uh, but I want to try to help people like, Hey, like you need, you need to do this. You need to move. You need to, you need to, uh, try to do things that are going to build your health. And you're, and you're being very kind here, Jim, but I could tell you from my own personal experience in all these areas, it seems so simple now to me and that you've been practicing your whole life are areas that I failed in for many years until starting to learn and talk to people in this community like you, Jim, like you talked about diet, exercise, and sleep. I was in a constant state of fight or flight. My nervous system was haywire and I wasn't sleeping. And I didn't realize how big of a deal that was for me to heal. Diet wise, I was having, I felt like complete shit. And what did I do? Hmm. I want to come for food. I go get yeah. a, a frosty from Wendy's and think, oh, I'm just going to feel better. And that was yeah. the worst thing I could have done. Right. So all these things are so important. And I failed at them for so many years until I realized how important diet and sleep and exercise are. And, you know, I understand that you're saying some people, that was your job. That was your number one thing to do was to exercise. But I'm going to argue that no matter what people's jobs are in life, they have to make changes to incorporate movement into their lives. Otherwise they are going to either slow down or inhibit their healing journey. 
we've had people on this podcast that were bedbound. You know, one of our mm. one of our friends, Nick Terensky, he had to literally stretch and do yoga laying in bed just to get his joints moving, his muscles going, blood flowing. And then that allowed him little by little, he started to get up and walk. And it was tough for him to even walk because his muscles were so atrophied, but mm. he had a fight and it wasn't easy. But if he just said, I'm going to be on the computer and running my business, which he had a very successful business, and I'm not going to try to move, he would have continued to decline. So I think we need to make time to do that so we yeah. can heal no matter what our life circumstances are, even if movement is not our number one priority like yours was, Jim. I mean, what do you think about yeah. that? I, I, I agree. I agree. You know, uh, it's there the 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 pillars right the pillars of health uh it's it's super simple stuff <laughs> like uh you know get some exercise eat eat good food and good is a is a very ambiguous word but we all know what good food is and what not so good food is uh and yeah and like sleep i mean sleep is one of those things that uh in the last in the last like year and a half or so um, you know, like I, I slept pretty well and, and like getting through the line, I slept. Okay, man. Like I've been making a like significant effort to get like those eight hours of sleep in the last like year and a half. It's, it's a performance enhancing drug. <laughs> like, yes. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so stupid too. Cause it's like, Hey, get eight hours of sleep. And it's like, no, man, I'm going to rise and grind like five hours. Like, and my issue has is always been there's that period between like six hours to seven and a half where I wake up and I feel like shit get less than that. I, I, I make it, I get through, you know, but like I, I wake up and I'm, and I'm up and I'm ready to go. Like after like, yeah, that six to seven and a half, I wake up and I feel like crap. And then it's hard for me to get going, but then it's like, I get eight and it's like, whew, you know, I'm a whole different guy. Um, yeah. It, you know, and like one of my one of my experiences with like even working out with it is that I've seen uh, some stuff in the past. I don't know if it's it's changed as of recently, but um, there's a lot of suggestions that like aerobic exercise was harder to do or, or worse for you with with Lyme disease, um, where. I felt that anaerobic was that I, I was it was I couldn't touch it. I couldn't, I couldn't lift. I couldn't sprint. I couldn't do anything because my nervous system was so shot that like, if I, if I tried to do a sprint or if I tried to like, uh, do some like live workouts with, with, you know, my, my training partners some grappling and stuff like that, where, you know, it's, it's kind of crossing the line between aerobic and, and, uh, anaerobic, like I'd be so banged up, but it was easy for me to just turn the treadmill on and just, just go for a little bit. And that nice, long, slow, steady workout was easier for me. Um, and, and I've seen some things in the past that is like kind of contrary to what the, the typical belief was, but I think honestly, just that movement, just doing something, just doing something to make like one little bit, one little bit of, of progress is, is what we got to do. Like you have to. For sure. And we've had, you know, another doctor, Dr. Cameron, who's another Lyme specialist on this podcast. And he said the same thing that, 
you have to move, but you can't go like I, before I got sick, I was an avid runner. I'd run 10 miles every day and go hard. And he said, you can over exercise and that actually will make it harder for you to heal. And you're, you're hurting yourself. You're making it harder. So when you have Lyme disease, you have to actually do what you suggested, go on the treadmill, walk slowly. You don't want to go on a sprint. You don't want to go hardcore, especially while you're, you're treating and while you're recovering. And he also suggested that you do it you know, every other or, or every, you know, every uh, three days you exercise, because you have to give your body time to recover, especially when you're really sick from Lyme disease. So mm-hmm. it is kind of different than what we're taught to, to, you know, know about, about exercising, but there is a certain way to approach movement that is going to be helpful for you in healing and not hurtful for you in healing. In fact, we interviewed Gina Vales, who is a fitness guru, who is, I mean, she's a, an influencer in this, in the fitness world. And she struggled with this because she was just going hard and going hard. And she kept having all these crazy relapses, Mm. but she was sleeping. She had her diet right. And she was exercising, but she was exercising way too hard. Mm. Her doctors finally said, you got to take it easy because you're killing yourself with over-exercising. And she found that she's now been able to get herself in a place where she can sustain remission and stay healthy because she's not overdoing it anymore. So Mm. that is really important in this world when you're suffering with late stage Lyme and you're recovering from tick-borne illness. So that I think is really important, but I do want to talk to you in addition to the physical elements of Lyme disease. I know you did talk about a lot when you, when you started speaking publicly about your illness, that there's a whole mental side to this as well, right? I mean, it's not just, I feel like shit physically, but mentally there's a whole component to this that we don't hear enough about in the Lyme world. So can you share with us what you meant by that when you publicly said, Hey, look, it was really mentally difficult for me too. Um, You know, just the, the, the lack of, uh, like the lack of confidence in my, my body, really, you know, like I went from, I went from like, oh man, like uh, I go into the octagon and, and I can outwork anybody, uh, to, uh, you know, my, my style of fighting had kind of changed and it was just, I knew that I wasn't competing to my strengths, um, because I, I know what my strengths at least definitely were at that point, which was just step on the gas. <laughs> like it was really pretty simple. Uh, just go as hard as you can go for as long as you can. And, you know, and if, if my corner needs to pick me up at the end of the fight, they, so they pick me up like, uh, and then kind of like, like losing that uh, was just, yeah, it was, it was, it was depressing. Mind fuck, right. It really yeah. it, it fucks with your head. I, I mean, there's yeah. no other way to describe it. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was really difficult, uh, learning to adapt to it and learning to accept, you know, like that. Okay. You know, it's, uh, there have been some changes. There's, there are some changes in the way that I'm going to have to fight and the way that I have to perform as an athlete. And some of that comes with age and some of that comes with Lyme disease and, you know, there's who, who knows what is what at this point, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely been like, it sucks. <laughs> it, it, it fucking sucks because, uh, you know, I know what I I know what I was capable of doing, uh, and then I had this like, really tough, uh, you know, few years and and like, yeah, it's a I'm I'm a few years older at this point now, so, um, like who knows what could have been, but I've always been the type that I I don't really I don't really care about it. I don't. I don't, I don't focus on any of that stuff. Like I, I look at what's right in front of me and I get past that. I don't dwell in the past. And like these fights where I, I, I had a crummy fight and I had a crummy camp because of Lyme, um, whatever I was there. I signed the, I signed the contract to do it. I got the opportunity. I got paid to do it. 
So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not worried about, you know, the past at this point. So you must blend these two together, right? Because we talked about the physical, we talked about the mental, but there's a connection there. And I feel like, you know, with the movement and the more you're able to get your body moving, you're going to create endorphins, which are the happy chemicals. And you're going to counter some of these, um, you know, emotional thoughts that you're having that you're starting to think, wow, I can't trust my body. Oh my goodness. I'm really sick. So you're countering the emotional and mental consequences of Lyme with movement. So did you find that the more you continue to train, the more you were able to overcome the mind fuck that is Lyme disease? Um, yeah, yeah, honestly. Uh, you know, um, it, and it was a, it was a long, long kind of haul, right? It took a while to, to finally feel like I could train like I should, um, for me to finally get over over things and and uh you know probably wasn't until early 2018 um but yeah just uh just that continued uh that continued little push right like i mean it's it it's it's really it, it comes down to basic health stuff right <laughs> like we we need to move we need to do that stuff like you you lock an animal in a cage and it can't it can't do the things that it's supposed to do. It, it, it loses a lot of stuff. It loses its mind. It loses its body. It loses its ability to reproduce. Like it's it, uh, you, you really start screwing with the animal. And, and when it comes right down to it, that's exactly what we are. So, you know, being, being trapped by not only society's restraints, but, but then this little, this thing on us, this, this, this Lyme disease, uh, you know, you, you can't, you can't let it affect the, what, we as as humans as animals need to do which is eat good food sleep <laughs> as much as we can and and work out jim i do want to follow up on that because we've had a there for some reason there seems to be more females and males in the line community and you know we've we've speculated that could be genetic there you know it could be a variety of factors but a lot of the females so we've actually had female guest co-hosts in the past and a lot of the female guests we've had have shared with female guest co-hosts that the that Lyme disease has impacted them in their romantic relationships because it really, as you noted, it, it really changes you, right? And they share that mm -hmm. it just completely obliterates their sex drive and, and their partner felt like, hey, like what's going on? Like you don't, and it's really had an impact on the relationships. And then we've had men reach out to us privately saying, hey, look, you know, Matt, you're a guy, you, you, you suffer with this what do you, how do you deal with this? Because my sex drive is gone. My partner thinks that I don't, you know, that it's hard and it's really hard to deal with. So what impacts, you know, I guess the first question is, was that ever a problem with you? And how did you communicate with your wife, your kids, et cetera, as you were struggling with this? And it was sort of changing who you were temporarily and you were fighting this battle to get your health back. Um, you know, uh, I, I didn't notice any effect on my sex drive. <laughs> I'm going to be fully honest. <laughs> There's parts of me that are still 15 years old, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, um, it, it, it definitely affected relationships, uh, you know, and it's it just, it adds stress. It adds stress to the relationships. And, and that, that was, that was just like the, the, the compound of everything, right. It was, it was because, Physically, I felt like crap. It was because mentally I, I was not, you know, not as sharp as I needed to be. And, and, and like I said, dealing with brain fog. And so like, it, it definitely did stress, 
a lot of those relationships. You know, it was like I said, it, it was hard for me to sit on the floor and play with my kids. So I wasn't doing that as much as I wanted to, um, which not only, you know, uh, uh, affected them because I wasn't playing with them as much, but it affected me because I wanted to play with them and I just felt like crap and I, and I couldn't. Um, so it just, it just added stress, uh, you know, unneeded stress to, to all the relationships. I want to circle back because one of the things that we get often from people is when they start to reintroduce movement into their life, it's hard to deal with the recovery. So you overdo it. You get, you get this like, Oh, why did I do that? And then you stop moving. So for you, when you were, when you were at your worst gym, how did you, how, how did you have to change your exercise regimen and how did you respond to, you know, the, the movement and the exercise from a recovery standpoint to be able to, to balance that, you know, okay, I don't want to overdo it and get myself more sick, but I have to keep moving. What was, what was that like for you? Um, you know, it, it, uh, it wasn't easy, <laughs> you know, like, so, uh, I know what I'm, I know what I, what, like, I know what I can do now. Right. Like, and I know what I can do hard and I, it, it, it's taken, it's taken some time to like kind of work around those things of like, okay, well, uh, cause we have, there's so many different aspects of mixed martial arts. Right. So we've got the, the stand up aspects, you've got wrestling, you've got then like groundwork grappling. Um, and then there's also being an athlete. So, um, for a while there, uh, like I said, I, I wasn't able to really lift or, um, uh, like do sprints, um, which was a big part of who I was as an athlete, uh, you know, before I got sick. Um, so, I mean, I ended up losing in, in 2016, I, I ended up losing almost 15 pounds of muscle. Um, the combination of being on doxycycline and that just <laughs> ripping my insides out. Um, but then, you know, just putting in consistent work that was, you know, conditioning long, long, slow state cardio stuff, um, as opposed to, you know, still, still lifting. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I kind of just learned to really listen to myself, you know, like I was talking about coaching before and like, Hey, you have to, you have to, you know, see, like what the athlete, like, is today a good day? Is today a bad day for the athlete? And I, I consider myself pretty, pretty coachable. Like if, if somebody asked me to do something, I'd, I'd do it. Um, and one of the benefits that I had is I, you know, I had my own gym, so I was the one in control. So it's like, Hey, today's, today's not a good day. Today is not my day that I push hard. So it was a lot easier for me to take a step back and tone it down on days that I felt like I couldn't go as hard as everybody else was going, uh, because I didn't have, you know, that head coach or whatever in my ear, like, Hey, stop being a, you know, stop being a wuss. Let's get in there. Right. You know, like, and it's like, no, like it, it took a, it took a level, a level of maturity, uh, to, to really be able to like throw that, that gauge on myself and, uh, you know, uh, step on the brakes, <laughs> step on the brakes as opposed to stepping on the gas. Like, um, because I, I learned that like, Hey, if I, if I do go too deep, then I'm banged up for three, four days, uh, where it's like, uh, I'm trying to make that, that consistent growth and, and those consistent gains. So that takes, 
you know, being, being on the mats for me, that's, you know, six days a week. So I like, I like your comment about that. You really had to be mature, right? You had to listen to your body. And if you over, if you overdid it and you push yourself too hard, all right, you felt like shit, but you're going to bounce back and make an adjustment and then continue on your healing journey. And that, that word maturity for me sticks out because so many people, get sick with Lyme and they just say, I can't move. I can't do anything. I can't treat. And they think of every excuse in the book to not take steps forward because they're afraid because they, they really believe that they can't get better from this. Right. But Jim, you all along were like, once you had that diagnosis, you're like, I'm going to beat Lyme disease. I'm going to kick its ass. I'm going to get my life back. And you did. Right. So I think that maturity is what dictates when certain people are going to just fight forward versus they're just going to do nothing because they are thinking I can't get better and I'm not going to keep pushing forward. So I think that's a really powerful word you use to describe that. So let's just put this in perspective. So all of 2015, you're sick. You finally get your diagnosis in early 2016. I mean, you're at the point where you're 32 years old. You're about to announce to the world that you're going to retire because you think I'm 32. I got the shit kicked out of my whole life for, for a living. Although you kicked a lot of people's asses for the most part. And you're saying, Hey, I'm going to retire, but you get your Lyme diagnosis. You choose not to do that. And, you know, a little kind of jumping ahead here, but you start to get better and you start to just start kick ass again and start just winning a ton of fights and really getting your life and your, your career back. So when you first started taking the doxycycline, many people have what's called a Herxheimer reaction, which means, yep. you know, you get, you know, you get worse before you get better or it's inflammation due to the kill off of the bacteria from Lyme disease. Did you experience that or do you think that you were moving so much that you were able to flush these toxins out of you so quickly because you, you were moving while treating? Uh, well, in the, in the first, uh, the first stint on doxycycline, I, I experienced it a little bit, nothing too crazy. Um, you know, I'd, I'd have a uh, couple, you know, a, a day or two here and there where I felt, I felt a little banged up. I felt a little extra sore. I felt a little extra tired and, you know, um, but nothing like nothing too crazy. Yeah. And that, that first, that first couple of months there, um, when it, uh, when it came back is when it, I really, I really experienced those, uh, you know, so I was on doxycycline for six months, uh, felt day and night better than I did. How long um, did it take Jim for you to get to that point when you were on doxy for six months? At what point yep. did you start to feel like, wow, holy shit, I'm feeling better. Um, I, it, it took me like, I don't know, maybe, maybe six weeks, eight weeks where I was like, Phew, like, wow, like this, this is it. Like we we're getting it, you know? And, uh, I mean that, that, that first, that first round of doxycycline though, it, it completely changed my, my insides. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I was going to the bathroom four to five times before noon. Like it just, even with probiotics and stuff like that, it was just, it was just banging me up. Um, so I was, I was on it for the, yeah, about six months. And I was like, Hey doc, like, uh, you think we beat it? Like, can I, can I go off the doxycycline please? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's, let's give it a shot. You know? So, uh, it was, I think it was just about seven weeks from the time that I stopped taking the doxycycline, uh, to where the symptoms started to come back again. Um, and, uh, I, me being me, I was like, well, you know, is it, is that Lyme disease or is that something else? So let's, like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to poop so much again, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, you, were, I, were there I, any other side effects to the doxy besides the GI issues? Um, no, not really. Uh, you know, um, 
light sensitivity, burning, you know, things like yeah, that. Occasionally, you know, like a, uh, more so when I got back on, I, I noticed it, uh, the, the light sensitivity with it. Um, I did give myself a, a little bit of, a uh, what do you call it? Uh, ulcer, uh, esophageal ulcer the once, once or twice. Cause I took it and then I went to bed and you wake up like, ah, <laughs> my throat hurts. Uh, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it was like six or seven weeks that, it, that I was off. It started coming back and I was like, okay, let's, let's see if it's actually coming back or, if, you know, I don't want to jump to conclusions here. Well, just, wait a second. This is the guy who listens to yeah. his body, who has intuition, yeah. who knows what's going on. So did you really know? And you just didn't want to go back on the docks. You're like, shit, I, I don't want to have I, my stomach issues again. So did you just like kind of fool yourself into thinking it wasn't back at that point? Yeah, I probably. Yeah. Probably fooled myself. Like, you, no, no, no. You're just, your eyes switching just because you know that happens sometimes That's normal right? yeah it's normal um so yeah so it was like it 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 came on pretty quickly at that point and then it, it just hammered me because i was i was trying to take i was trying to do everything right and like okay well i need to take the doxycycline two hours your you might my supplements two hours before two hours after i could never take it on an empty stomach because it would make my stomach upset um so then i'm trying to like plan out my supplement schedule and it just never worked i could just never get like everything in because i i like to work out fasted uh you know on the days where i'm training later in the day a lot of times they're you know like i'll i'll go until like 2 or 3 p.m until i eat some like a significant amount of food maybe i'll have a, a granola bar or a shake or something like that um but i don't like to work out with food in my stomach um so not having any food in my stomach and then taking a, a, a crap ton of pills, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. So I was training for a fight at UFC. What was it? 208, uh, in, uh, in Brooklyn, um, uh, Dustin Poirier was fighting and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was kicking my ass. The, the line would come back and I wasn't consistent on the doxycycline. What were your symptoms, Jim? So this is your off doxy. You're seven weeks in. You're starting to feel like shit. And you're saying, eh, is it Lyme? Am I, you know, so you're not back on the doxy. So what were your symptoms? You mentioned that you had eye twitching. What, what symptoms came back? And were there any new symptoms at this point before you went back on the doxy? Um, it was like the, the level of fatigue was like, I mean, if I, if I was at like a seven, uh, you know, the year prior, uh, I, I was at like a 12. <laughs> like I, I, I could barely do anything. I remember it, this was maybe a month before the fight. So I I'd been working out and like I was coming off of uh UFC 205 where I was probably in some of the best shape of my life, uh, conditioning wise. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, had still been training. Um, but then it, you know, it started kicking my butts. So then it was kind of keeping me away from training as hard as I, I should have been. Um, and one of my guys did like a, a it doesn't really add anything to the story, but he was doing like a, a, a 24-hour roll-a-thon, right? So it screwed up our sparring session because a bunch of guys came in and and rolled with him at like odd hours of the night. So like I show up for sparring and there's like two guys there. So I end up uh, I end up just rolling with with a couple of people and, and just getting getting a little workout and getting a sweat in and uh, nothing crazy. And I think I I think I trained for like a half an hour and. I literally thought I was going to like die. Like I, I was so banged up. I was so sore. I was so tired. Everything hurt. Um, 
and it was like kind of that kick in the ass. Like you need to, you need to get this, you know, supplement and, and medication schedule. Like you just suck it up and, and, and get on this thing. And, and, uh, you know, that was kind of the kick in the ass that I needed. And I got back onto things. And, and of course, like I had a, had a little bit of, you know, uh, Herxheimer, uh, week of the fight, you know, uh, what did that feel like, Jim? So describe that for us, the Herxheimer reaction. Uh, like, like kind of like a little bit of flu-like symptoms. I had, um, I had, uh, like muscle spasms in my left arm. So I was cutting weight and like my arm, I just kept kind of like, it wasn't just like that little twitch. This was like full blown, like punching the air, sitting, <laughs> sitting in a, in a bathtub, cutting weight, you know? And like on one side, it's like, sitting in a, a, a warm bath with Epsom salts, a good thing to do with a Herxheimer reaction. But then like, you know, I'm, I'm going through these changes of my diet and all this stuff and workouts and rest and all that's helping me beat the Lyme and cause the Herxheimer reaction. So, uh, it ended up, uh, you know, we, we got back onto our schedule and, and got through the fight, uh, you know, had a tough fight with Dustin and, and, uh, um, you know, was uh pretty good with uh with everything after that it, it it took a little while but i mean that was another it was about another year um so that was beginning of 2017 beginning of 2018 is when i really noticed a difference in the way that i could train and and push myself uh that's when i was able to to kind of get back into the weight room and 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 do things that uh that i had done to you know get to the level that I had, you know, have gotten to. That's a few follow-up questions there. So you went back on the doxy. It sounds like for about, from 2017 to 2018 ish, how long were you back on the doxy for the second time? Uh, just about two years. I ended two up years. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my doctor had seen, uh, or read an article or whatever, uh, seen some, seen some stuff that said people that are on doxycycline for two years, you know, had shown that they had gotten over it. So I, stayed on it. And even though I felt better, uh, in early 2018, I was like, I'm staying on it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going off of it. Um, so I, yeah, I stuck on it through, uh, December 31st, uh, 2018, uh, is the last time that I took doxycycline. I, uh, the, the stomach bug ripped through the family and I rung in the new year, uh, puking. <laughs> hugging the toilet and like it was like one of those events that like like i have uh post-traumatic stress from like it was so bad my stomach hurt so bad and i still like to this day there was this we had this pasta that i used to make all the time and i can't eat it anymore like it's been it's been a few years now and i can't eat it because it was such a such a like violent vomiting that uh I was like, that's it. I'm done. And, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, I haven't had, you know, the Lyme symptoms haven't come back and, and, um, you know, um, to this day, like if I eat like crap, I mean, I feel it like, uh, I, I do, I, I don't get, you know, I don't get the, the, the joint pain and I don't get the, the numbness and stuff like, but like, I feel like super sluggish if I eat like crap or, uh, if I, if I'm, if I'm drinking too much alcohol, like I, I try to avoid it. I, I drink socially, stuff like that. But like, you know, if I have like 
a beer or two a day for a few days in a row, like I'll start to feel it. Um, so I, I've, I've really tried to, you know, uh, clean up the diet, you know, because I've got, I've got the handle on the working out part. Like that's, that's part of my life, you know, doing moving and doing physical stuff is part of my life. Um, you know, so the, the diet, we, my, my family and I, my wife and I, we, we really clean things up and, and try to not super strict on like, you know, the, the quintessential like lime diet. Right. Like, um, but we do avoid, you know, like I don't eat a lot of dairy anyway. Um, like I said, I, I, I drink alcohol, but not like, not consistently. Um, you know, I, I don't eat a super ton of bread. I mean, gluten has never given me any issues. Um, you know, and sugar, I, I try to avoid it as well. So like we, we really clean and, you know, when, when we're, I, I kind of hate traveling because then I end up falling out of my rhythm. And, and again, that might be old age. That might be, you know, I'm pushing 40. So like that might be part of it, or it might be my stomach is still banged up or it might be the line, like who the hell knows at this point. But if I'm eating like whole foods, right. Like no ingredient list type stuff. Like I feel great. <laughs> so for those that can't see, cause Rich has his, his audio off. When you said you're getting old, you're pushing 40. Rich was dying, belly laughing over there because uh, <laughs> Rich is like, that is not old. So, but, but I do want to ask you, Jim, because you know, you're still having some reactions and you know, what are your thoughts? Because there's, there's some disagreement among, you know, doctors in the medical community as to whether or not you know, even two years of doxycycline can fully mm -hmm. eradicate late stage Lyme because we know it gets into your brain, to your heart, yeah. to your tissues. It gets deep in your body. Mm -hmm. And some of it become, some of the bacteria becomes antibiotic resistant. It changes forms. It goes from an active spirochete to a cyst form, which is not detectable by antibiotics. So do you think that you still have some bacteria in your body and that you're, you're now healthy enough to manage it because you decreased the pathogenic load or the, or the, the Lyme load in your body and with the medication and your lifestyle and your diet and your sleep that you're managing it, or do you believe that you fully eradicated the bacteria from your body? I have absolutely no idea. I'm going to knock on wood. Uh, hopefully I eradicated it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know the, the, the things that made me feel like so crummy, like in, in 2015, 2016, and then, and then like early 2017, uh, I haven't been experiencing those. Um, you know, like I, I do, uh, I do seem like I've got a sensitivity to like fried foods and stuff like that. Like they make me, and now I never, you know, I, I could eat whatever I wanted, but like now it's like, I feel, almost feel like I've got a little bit of an allergy uh, to that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't tell you. I, don't, <laughs> I wish you, I could, <laughs> but you've been feeling good for over four years now. You went yeah. up to Doxy in December yeah. of 2018. So you're doing pretty freaking good. Right. But you yeah. also, you have, you have a much healthier lifestyle. You're not drinking as much alcohol. You're getting more sleep. So this forced you to have an even cleaner lifestyle than you did before, mm -hmm. which is allowing your body, regardless of whether or not the Lyme is gone or potentially just at bay, your body's managing it because you're, yeah. you're physically healthy, you're emotionally healthy, and you're doing things you need to, to keep yourself healthy enough to manage any type of opportunistic bacteria or pathogen in your body, including Lyme disease, right? So what, what I find interesting though, you did talk about Jim, that when you were on the antibiotics and the doxy, you had to take supplements also. And the supplements had to be taken before the doxy, 
So yeah. beyond, beyond the doxycycline, what supplements were you taking? Were you doing any kind of herbs? You know, what supplementation was it? And was, were the supplements just for general health or were they for Lyme disease as well? Uh, they were mostly for general health. Um, uh, I still supplement, you know, uh, vitamins B, you know, all the B vitamins, uh, C and D, uh, omega threes. Um, I did a little bit of like, a uh, like some of the mushroom therapy type stuff, chaga and stuff like that. I don't know. Like, like adaptogen have... type mushrooms, like the ones that are like nervous system regulating or what type of mushrooms? Uh, like the chaga mushroom and, and, um, I took, I took lion's mane for a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. That's, the, that's the problem is I don't know like what exactly helped me. <laughs> I, but, think but it was, I think it was everything. It's but, all the above, yeah, right? The answer yeah. always is everything. Everything yeah. you did has got you to where you are today. And when yeah. people say, well, that didn't help so much. Well, how do you know that wasn't part of the bigger picture that got you to where you are today when that final thing finally worked for you? And I, I can tell you all those vitamins, right? All the mushrooms, I mean, Dr. Rolls, who's this brilliant herbalist that Rich and I follow, he talks about the power of mushrooms from being an adaptogen, meaning they balance out your nervous system. They take you out of fight or flight, they put you in the rest and digest, and they allow you to heal. And there's a lot of powerful properties to mushrooms and a lot of powerful properties to supplementing vitamins that you're deficient in because of Lyme disease. So vitamin B is really powerful in a Lyme recovery journey. So everything you were doing for general health was helping your body recover and overcome the, you know, this, these deficiencies due to Lyme disease. Plus you were hitting it with the doxycycline. Plus you were moving your ass off and fighting. You were determined to kick your Lyme's ass. So collectively all these things got you where you are today, I believe. So, you know, and there are so many studies proving that these vitamins and mushrooms and everything together are really the best way to, to tackle Lyme disease. So the, um, Final thing I want to talk to you about before Rich, you know, kind of talks about, you know, where you are today and, and what you're doing today with your platform is you kind of talked about a few things that, I, that, that have helped you that are tips and tricks to people listening to this podcast that are suffering from Lyme disease. So you mentioned, hey, I was taking an Epsom salt bath and that's supposed to help a Herxheimer reaction. So what are some things you've learned when you were kind of suffering from, you know, the treatment from a Herx from a, you know, I over I over exercised that you can share with our listeners that may help them. So, you know, the Epsom salt bath. Uh, certain supplements, certain, you know, diet things, anything you can share to help people listening to make their journeys not as difficult as, as they are now that and maybe give them a little bit of a shortcut to their healing path. Um, you know, yeah. Like, uh, uh, I mean, I know that like the Epsom salt baths are, are supposed to be pretty, pretty good for, for Herxheimer reactions and stuff like that. Uh, it was just happenstance that I, I was, I was cutting weight in one, right. <laughs> Cause you, you sweat as uh, you sweat more in a hundred percent humidity, right. In, in hot water than you do, uh, you know, in, in the hottest sauna. So uh, it, I think one of the biggest things is that I found is that like, at least me personally is I do well with like active recovery. So when I, when I like overdo it, it's not even so much just, don't do anything. It's do something really light. Just move a little bit. Um, and I've found that like over the years, like no matter what it is, um, whether it is I, like if I if I injured something. Allowing my body to still move and kind of pump out any of the inflammation and 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 any of that stuff. Uh, is a better route to take than to just completely, you know, shut it down and 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 not do anything. Um, so yeah, like, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of like active recovery. 
Well, that's a really great term, active recovery. And I think we're going to we're going to borrow that and we'll certainly credit you on future episodes and talk to other people because, (laughs) you know, it's something that I just kind of stumbled upon in my own healing journey that if I overdo it and I do nothing, then it's like, oh, man, it's even worse. But if I overdo it and I just do a little bit the next day, then the recovery isn't as bad. Right. That's kind of what you're saying is if you overdo it, don't be like, shit, I'm not going to do anything tomorrow because it's going to be worse. Do a little bit. Just do a little bit. That's that's an active recovery. I guess that's what that's what you're referring to as active recovery. Right, Jim? Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. But talk to us about the role of sweating, because you talked about the ability to sweat. And, you know, and that was a really cool statement that you gave us. And we know when you're killing off pathogens, like, you know, especially with a broad spectrum antibiotic, like doxycycline, it's killing off Lyme and probably other things you had in your body. These toxins that are that are released when the bacteria die have to be removed from your body. And your skin is your largest detox organ. You sweat out the die off or the, these toxins that are coming from the, you know, resulting from the, the, the killing of the bacteria. So. Do you think that sweating was an important part of your ability to detox while treating? And how did you feel when you were sweating? Because some people tell us, oh, I felt like complete shit when I was, you know, when I, when I was sweating and oh, other people tell us it's the best feeling ever when I sweat with Lyme disease. So where do you fit into that, that picture? Uh, you know, I, I've always enjoyed it. <laughs> like it, it didn't change, uh, you know, like uh, uh, there's that point, there's that point of like working out when you're when you're going at a pace that is going to make you like sweat, break a sweat that like, I always hate that spot where it's like, I haven't started sweating yet. Like I want it to start flowing. (laughs) So, I mean, that, that has always, that has always been me. Like I I just, if I, I, I enjoy knowing that I'm, and I'm putting that work in. Um, But yeah, like I, I, I always lime or no lime. I always felt good you know, breaking a sweat. Jim, my final question, I promise, I know Rich is getting mad because he wants to jump back in. My final question for you, Jim, is if, uh, if Lewis, who, who we, we love, if he came to you, if he called you up at this podcast, and said, hey, Jim, how was the podcast? By the way, coincidentally, I was just bit by a tick and I think I have Lyme disease. What would you tell him to do after what you learned from your experience and what you've gone through to help him not get as sick as you did and so many others in the Lyme community? Um, I would try to point him in the, in the right direction to find a doctor that's going to help him. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of the people that, that I, that I know that have caught it early, um, they have a much better results of, you know, uh, getting over it. So, so get, just getting after it, getting on some antibiotics right away, but then also making those lifestyle changes to like, Hey, listen, you could potentially be having something, you know, going on right now. So, eat well, you know, uh, uh, work out like, and, and make, and, and get, and get good sleep, make those positive steps because like, it's not just Lyme disease, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's not just Lyme disease We're we're at what two years and counting in, in this, in this pandemic thing, like health matters. It really does. And there, there, unfortunately, there is no magic pill. Like there's nothing, nothing that you can take that's just going to make you healthy like that. It is all about consistency. You have to put in consistent work, whether that is diet wise, it's consistently making good, good choices, whether that's in sleep, consistently getting good sleep, not just, oh, well, I, 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 I slept for four hours throughout the week. And then I just slept for 14 hours, you know, over the weekend, like, no, that's not, that's not the right path to take. 
you know, and, and the same thing with working out. It's about consistency. Like that's how you, that's how you make positive gains, uh, in your body, whether you're trying to put on muscle, whether you're trying to, to increase your cardiovascular health, if you're trying to see changes, it's all about consistency. And that's really what it would be like, find a good doctor and then make consistent changes in, in those very important things that deal with our, our health and our wellness and like overall and our, and our body's ability to, to, to fight anything, right. Is like putting good food in our body, getting enough rest and, and working out. Jim, now talk to us about the transformational nature of this experience, meaning how has this taught you about yourself and your, and your superpowers uh, in a way that you wouldn't be aware of and you wouldn't be um, working toward had you not gone on the Lyme disease journey? Um, I, I don't even know. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a really... Like it, like I said before, like it, every, every fight that I've had at this point since, um, since discovering that I had Lyme, it, it feels like a gift, you know? Um, and there's a, there's a, there's a way of saying things, right? Like, you know, like, uh, and they, they tell you this and it's, I've, I've seen it on social media. It goes around, like you, you don't get, you know, you, you don't have to work out. You get to work out. Right. Like it's the way that we phrase it to ourselves makes it makes an impact on our, on our mental health and all this stuff as well. It's like, I haven't had to fight, but I've gotten to fight over these last couple of years. Like I've, I've gotten that opportunity. I cherish that opportunity and I, and I cherish the opportunity that I, you know, when I, when I get to work out when I get to spend time with my family, when I get to eat good, healthy, wonderful food, like, it's, it, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very grateful of, of everything at this point, you know, because it's, uh, like, like I said, my, my career was, was hanging in the balance and, um, just the, ex, just, just the, the finding out that I was fighting something was enough to like, okay, all right. Like, if I'm fighting, I'm going to fight as hard as I can. <laughs> you know? and, and, and you, and you're pretty good at fighting, right? Yeah, I, I try, <laughs> you know, uh, it, I, I, when I'm, when I've been coaching wrestling, uh, you know, I, my, my boys wrestled this year. Um, and, uh, you know, I was helping out with the, with the team. I was trying to get the kids, you know, a little motivated. And I'm like, listen, guys, like there are only two things in this world that you have complete control over. Like you can't, you, you, you can't fully control your body. Like there's stuff going on inside your body that you don't have complete control. Over. The only things that you can control are your effort and your attitude. The only things you can control how hard you're going to do something, how committed you are to a cause. That's it. Like you, you, you are the one that's in control of like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to run to that post right over there. You know, like, well, are you going to run as hard as you can? Or are you not going to run as hard as you can? It's up to you. It's up to you. It's your choice, but you're the only one who know if you're going as hard as you can. And then your attitude, like, how are you going to deal with the hurdles? How are you going to deal with the, the things that get in your way? You're in control of that. 
So like, yeah, I, I, I've, I've got this fight and I I've had this fight with Lyme disease and that's what I did. I controlled my effort and I controlled my attitude. I didn't let it beat me down. I didn't let it drag me down and, and get, get overwhelmed by it and get broken by it. And, and I didn't, I didn't half-ass it, you know, like I, I knew that there was this thing in front of me that I, that I had to make these choices and I had to do these things to, to overcome it. And I chose to do that as hard as I could. And some days it was not, it was not easy. And there were days where I missed my medication and I forgot or this or that, but like I was, I was still in the fight. I was still committed to fighting it as hard as I could. Right, but that was something you've always done, right? And one of the things we talk about in this podcast is when we're working on our recovery, mm-hmm. our recovery is working on us. When we're fighting Lyme disease, that's working on us. And we have to change. We have to be different because the person who had gotten Lyme disease is not going to be the person that's going to recover from Lyme disease, right? One of the things that I think is really powerful about one of the things you just said was you had taken a lot of things for granted. You had some expectations about food and sleep and your ability to fight and so many other things. And you went from being somebody who had a lot of expectations to a person who had a lot of appreciation. And that was a, seems to be a radical change in who Jim Miller was, you know, the, the freakishly genetically gifted professional athlete now had appreciation for a lot of the things that he took for granted because he was just a God, he had a lot of God given gifts. So talk about that piece of this transformation in your life from someone who who went who had a great deal of expectation to now having a lot of appreciation. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, so uh, it, it, it's 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 been it, you know it was it was a hard pill to swallow in the beginning of like kind of losing uh, losing what I was you know uh, my 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 gift right <laughs> like losing the ability to fight in a way that that, uh, I knew was my best opportunity to win. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's all the experiences that I've been able to gain since, uh, my diagnosis, like I said, it's, it's, it's a gift and it's an opportunity to, um, to, to share really, uh, when it comes right down to it, uh, to, to, to share it with, the fans to share it with my, my teammates to share it with, uh, you know, my family. Um, you know, uh, I definitely was, uh, earlier in my career was, I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care where I fought. I didn't care, uh, you know, who was there or what, you know, like it didn't, it didn't matter anyone, any place, any time. Um, you know, and, and, and the, the fans in the arena, it, it never really mattered, uh, to me because I was just focused on the guy in front of me. Um, but you know, now, now I really do, uh, uh, appreciate getting the opportunity to fight in front of the crowds and, and, and sharing that opportunity and, and get, hopefully giving them the gift of a, of a great performance. Um, well, but Jim, you've always done that, right? I mean, you, you know, you've always been a fan favorite. Matt and I have been admirers of yours for years and years and years. 
but I think it's it's a little bit more than that, right? Because you're now not just giving your effort, which is what we've always admired about you. You've always given 100%. You've always fought your hardest. You've always done a great job. That's just part of who you are. But now you're giving us a little bit more, right? You're, you're, you're sharing with us more about who you are and what this journey was like and what we should be doing to avoid this. So how have the fans now responded to you differently now that you're sharing some vulnerability and you're sharing with us um, what it was like to go on this Lyme disease journey? Um, you know, I, I, I feel like... Uh, I feel like by, by opening up and, and sharing my my experience and my 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 Lyme you know journey and battle um that uh there is a there is a level of appreciation and a level of uh of respect that I've that I've gotten for um for being vulnerable (laughs) you know for for opening up about it because there there is this aspect of uh of fighting that uh it's you, uh, there are a lot of fighters that kind of just put on the shell, right. And, and become the persona, um, where I try to, I try to be really open about it and, and be open about like what I'm going through and what I'm doing and, and, and who I am, uh, which is more than just a fighter. Um, there's, there's a lot more to me than, than just the guy that steps into the octagon and, um, you know, I, I try to, I try to show that to people and I, I feel that they do appreciate it. We certainly do. And we thank you for that. So let me ask you one more piece of your life and then, then we're going to let you go. Cause you've been really, really generous with the time. Talk to us about Miller's, um, sorry, Miller brothers, uh, mixed martial arts and how, uh, you and your brother are developing this business and what impact, um, both your UFC career and your Lyme disease journey has had on the business you and your brother have developed. Well, actually, uh, um, about a year ago, I, I ended up selling the gym. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know what, uh, it, we opened it up in, uh, in 2014 and, um, you know, we opened it up because there was some drama in the, in the previous team we were, we were training with and stuff like that. And and I wanted to avoid that. And of course, (laughs) drama follows you everywhere. <laughs> so we, we ended up having to deal with our own, but, um, honestly having a place that was my own, uh, it, it saved my career through, through my battle. Uh, it, it really did. Um, the, the only reason that I'm, I'm fighting today in, in 2022 is because I opened up my own place because having a, having a team and having a, a, a culture on the mat that, um, you know, that I could trust everybody that I was training with when I was at my lowest, um, really, uh, it, 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 it totally, it totally is the reason that I'm, that I'm still here. You know, like it, it's, uh, I, I would have, I would have definitely gotten injured, um, on some of those days that were not my best, had I been training at one of the, the bigger, the bigger gyms, uh, because coaching is so difficult, <laughs> right? Cause reading, reading athletes, reading people is so difficult. Um, that if I was in the mix on one of those practices that, that I, I had been a part of for years prior, 
um, that, that I, I probably would have sustained an injury that would have cost me my career. Um, so it was, uh, you know, we, we tried to build a, 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 a great group on the map, but also, you know, in our, in our, in our fight team, but also just in our, in our general students as well. And, and it was, it was awesome to be part of the community. And, um, you know, we, we had, uh, we had, we tried to have a barbecue every year and bring everybody together and, and, you know, very, very family friendly and, and, uh, very close knit group. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it wasn't in my, my plans from the beginning to, to, to end up selling it, but, you know, COVID kind of put us in a position where it was, I would have had to be there, you know, every night teaching classes while trying to still compete as a fighter or, you know, uh, cut away the anchor. And, and I chose to cut away the anchor and, uh, it's still the same great group of people. And, and, uh, it's just, I'm not, uh, I'm not the one in charge anymore. So, uh, yeah. of course, another, another one of the difficult decisions that you always seem to be capable of making when, when faced with them, which of course served you professionally, it has served you in your life journey and it continues to serve you and your family. Well, so I think it really is a nice way of tying up this really powerful interview. And so, uh, UFC legend, UFC legend, I can't say the word, Jim Miller. Uh, we can't thank you enough for spending time with us uh, on this podcast and sharing your really powerful story with the folks uh, who follow the Tick Bootcamp podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with UFC legend, Jim Miller. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Jim Miller and his career as a professional athlete, please visit his Instagram page at Miller underscore 155. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that's been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.